We're starting a new series now. Having just finished the book of Daniel, we're moving into 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And uh, what we'll see, I've titled the sermon series, as you can see on the slide behind me, Entrusted with the Gospel. That's a word that comes up several times in the book. Entrusted. Paul says, I've been entrusted with the message of the Gospel. Timothy, to give it to you. Now you've been entrusted with this message and you've been entrusted with it so that you can entrust others with this message. This is the movement of the Gospel throughout the church. It is the message of the Gospel being handed down and, and carried on for the growth and the sustenance of the church. It's an exciting book. It's going to be a really helpful book. And I think this morning uh, is a great kickoff. The way that Paul begins this letter to Timothy is, I, I, I think, I believe this, as I've been studying it this week, it's going to speak directly to many of you, if not all of us, I hope all of us, but in particular ways to many of us who are maybe feeling a little, uh, a little flat, maybe feeling a little bit afraid, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed by the things that are in front of you. Timothy can relate to that in this moment, and Paul knows that. And Paul wants to encourage him with this as he is encouraging him ultimately to be a man of the gospel, to be a man who uses the gospel not only for his own, um, his own spiritual growth and health, but for the proclamation of that message to the church and to the world. And that's a call that we all share, right? So I hope that you'll be tremendously encouraged as we go through this text. And the beginning sermon, I'm titling this, God has been preparing you all along. So if you're feeling a little afraid, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed, know this. God has been preparing you for this moment, and all moments, all along. That's what Paul's going to share with Timothy. Becky read us the passage. There was a verse in there that talked about fanning into flame the gift. Reminding me of this last summer. Took my family up to Devil's Lake for a camping trip. When you go camping... You, you usually buy firewood, right? That's, that's, that's probably the only really enjoyable part of camping is sitting around the campfire at night. The rest of it, you know, mosquitoes and, and whatever. Campfire. So we, we, you, get, you get firewood. And if you've been camping uh, anywhere around here, you know usually you can buy firewood at the campsites. There's a, they call it a cord of wood. And they usually charge you like six bucks or so for the cord of wood, maybe seven bucks. They, they, it's kind of the most expensive place to buy it. But if you can look around a little bit on the places that you'll pass on your way to the campsite, oftentimes you'll find that people are selling firewood for a little bit cheaper. So I'm always on the lookout for that. So I, I made the decision, the fateful decision, the unfortunate decision to buy the cheap stuff. I found that there was this guy off-site who was selling firewood for like five cords for 20 bucks. And I thought, that, that's a bargain. And I bought it and brought it in, so excited to share this great big bunch of firewood with my family, only to find that it, the stupid stuff would not light. See, there's a reason why you buy firewood from like a reputable firewood distributor, because they usually kiln dry the wood. you got to have dry wood. If the wood's wet, it's not going to work. And so unfortunately, what we found out was that the wood that I bought was a little bit wet. And so we spent hours of time that we could have been spending just sitting and enjoying the fire very much like in the fire with our faces trying to blow on the coals and we grab paper plates and we're trying to fan this fly, the flame to get it to go. And if we, if we stop doing that for even just a moment, the whole thing would just die down. Sometimes, sometimes, think of that analogy, the Christian life is a lot like that. Sometimes the Christian life can at least feel like that, like a cord of wet firewood. It, it falls into this slow burn sometimes. You may be experiencing that. You will experience that. There are periods where it just sort of feels like the coals are maybe just kind of at a, at a slow uh, glow, but the fan, the, 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 the flame, I should say, is, is, is lacking. Right? And I think that's the moment that Paul is writing into here, not just for Timothy, but for the, the church that Timothy is, is overseeing, the church in Ephesus. Let me, let me give you a little bit of context here just to explain what's going on in this moment. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Paul is in Rome. And Paul is in prison. This is his second imprisonment. And he is in probably a a dark and dank dungeon 
knowing that he has left Timothy, his, his young protege, back in Ephesus to oversee and shepherd this, this young congregation, this challenged congregation. And Paul, although he writes, as you, you heard Becky read, he writes that he hopes that he will see Timothy again. He longs to see Timothy again so that his, his joy may be complete, that he may have this joyful moment of reunion. It's likely that Paul knew that that wasn't going to happen. That Paul, Paul had this sense that execution was imminent, and it was. Paul would not get out of this prison cell. He was going to die there. So this, this is the context he's writing to, to Timothy. He, he knows that it's important at this moment, knowing that his life is probably at the end of the line, that he's got to pass on the torch of leadership in the church. And Timothy is a very special relationship. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the moment. But I've already told you, Timothy's been left in Ephesus, this church that, that they had planted, and, and he's, he's, he's left in there to, to oversee it. And this, this was a very key appointment for Paul. Timothy was dear to Paul. And he's young. And he's timid. And like I said, the church is facing some challenges. There's false teachers that are beginning to wreak some havoc in the church. There's there's just a little bit of chaos and, and unease. There's a sense in which the flame has kind of died down and needs to be rekindled. The flame meaning for Christ, for the truth of His Word, for the power of the Gospel. And Timothy is this young, kind of timid guy who, who, who realizes that he's, he's into something that's probably a little bit beyond his natural capabilities. And so he's got this temptation to want to shrink back a little bit. And so the message of this letter from Paul to Timothy is ultimately this. Timothy, guard the gospel that you've been entrusted with. Guard the gospel and entrust it to others. That's what we're going to be reading over the next several weeks as we go through this. He's going to keep pressing back this point. But I love where he starts. Because again, he recognizes the situation at hand. He sees Timothy. He sees this young man this timid man, this overwhelmed young man, and he wants to begin to encourage him with something very important. He wants to see him move out of this sort of slow burn stage to see the flame fanned in Timothy's own heart, his own life, and his own ministry. And what he does in these opening seven verses is to say, Timothy, ultimately this, remember how you got here. You know where you're at. You're overwhelmed. You're a little scared. But I want you to remember how you got here. Because in remembering that, you're going to find tremendous encouragement. And that's what I want to encourage us with this morning. I think there's tremendous encouragement for each of us as you put yourselves in the shoes of Timothy this morning to remember, no matter what you're facing, how you got here. How you got here. So here's the first point that I want us to look at this morning. Remember how God has called you. Remember how God has called you. Look back down at the text and begin in verse 2. Paul says, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Now notice this. You probably did. It's pretty obvious here. There's a lot of really tender language in those sentences. There's a lot of really heartfelt, uh, loving encouragement just in those couple of sentences. So why did I title this first sermon point, Remember How God Has Called You? Well, I, I did that because you have to understand a little bit of something about the relational history of Timothy and Paul. They've, they've been together for some time now. When, when Paul first meets Timothy, Timothy is just a teenager. And he meets him in his hometown of Lystra. This is while Paul was on his second missionary journey. And this is outlined for us in Acts chapter 16. You can go to Acts chapter 16. I encourage you to do that later and read about their first encounter. And what we see there is that, that Timothy, this young teenage boy, had a godly mom and he had a godly grandmother. 
And when Paul brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to their city, the three of them together, having this godly Jewish background steeped in the scriptures, they heard the gospel and they responded to it. And they all became believers in Jesus Christ. And Paul then immediately took to this young man. The, the relationship was, was special from the very beginning. Paul sort of took him under his wing and invited him to come along with him from that point on, on his missionary journeys. And so Timothy then became a trusted, not just friend of Paul, but a protege of Paul. Paul was truly a father in the faith to Timothy. This relationship ran deep, and we see that clearly here in the text. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child. Did you catch that? You're my beloved child. And he speaks of constant prayers for him. Night and day, Timothy, I'm always praying for you, and I want to see you. I'm longing to see you, because when I see you, Timothy, this special relationship that we have, it'll fill me with joy. There's tender, special language. And I think the, the best evidence for that is found in verse 4. When Paul says that he remembers Timothy's tears when they parted. You see, this moment now that we're in, as he writes this, is, is some 15 years down the line. So, so Paul and Timothy have had 15 years together, doing ministry together, forging this friendship together, this, this mentor-mentee relationship. And after this 15 years, now Timothy is probably in his young, you know, early 30s, maybe somewhere between 30 and 35 years old. And again, Paul has left him to stay in Ephesus to care for this church that was planted there. And again, this church was facing big challenges. It was a tough assignment for him. So I want you to, again, put yourselves in the shoes of Timothy for a moment. Imagine you're him, this mentor in your life who has been most instrumental in you coming to faith in Christ. This person who helped you transition from adolescence into adulthood, who trained you, even unbeknownst to you maybe, for a lifetime of ministry. You, you may not have been fully aware that that was happening, but, but for 15 years, that's been happening. His his ministry, his leadership style, all those things have been rubbing off on you. And suddenly this person who for 15 years has been, in many ways, your, your everything as a human relationship, he's cut the umbilical cord. And he's, he's left you there to accomplish the greatest task of your life, the biggest thing that you've ever faced. And so this shoulder that you've, you've grown so accustomed to leaning on isn't there anymore. The buck doesn't stop with him anymore. Now it stops with you. What are you going to do? Well, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to weep for the loss. And I, I have experience with that. I, I feel like this, this really speaks to me because there's been two times in my life where I, I've had this exact same experience. The first time was when I was uh, in my late 20s, uh, just about to turn 30 years old, and I had been serving in a youth ministry back in Arizona under a pastor named Scott Maxwell. And Scott had been very much a Paul to me, even, even in ways that I didn't fully comprehend at the time. But he was the youth pastor over the youth ministry. I was a lay leader who served under him, and I did that for nine years. And over those nine years, I ended up living right next door to Scott for a big chunk of that time. He kind of walked through my relationship with Christine as that was developing. He married us. He became a, a weekly, uh, just discipler of me. And again, he was the, the guy that probably most taught me what it, what it means to be a real shepherd because I was just sitting so closely under his ministry for nine years. And I remember at, the, at, at that nine-year mark, he came to me one time and he said, hey, I, I just need to let you know something. There's a church that needs a pastor and they've asked me to come and be their pastor and I'm going to go. And, he, and he, he basically told me that, you know, Bill, until the church here comes up with another youth pastor, you're going you're gonna to have to step into that. You're going to have to lead this thing and, and you're going to have to do that without me because I, I know that the Lord is calling me to do this other, this other ministry. And I went home <laughs> My wife can attest to this. I wept. I wept. For all the same reasons I can imagine Timothy is weeping here. This guy had been 
my mentor. This was this this is the shoulder that I that I leaned on. This was the guy who who carried the ministry that I was so actively involved in and loved so much. And now he's he's going to be gone. And I wept. And I felt that fear. And what I didn't realize at the time was that that was the that was the thing that God was going to ultimately use in my life to call me into pastoral ministry. And had Scott never left, I probably wouldn't be here. But it was a challenge. And the second time that that happened to me was here at Edgewater. When I first got here at Edgewater, many of you know who John Butler is. John Butler was was a uh, guy who had been kind of an interim pastor here for some time. He was He was a real leader here in the church. And when I first got here as a pastor, I'm I'm 35 years old at the time. I'm young. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I've never been a senior pastor before. And John kind of stepped in and, and just sort of by my side was this pastor to me. And I could lean on him in, in so many ways. And he filled gaps that I couldn't fill. And, and then a couple years later, John was called away to be a military chaplain. And he left. And I remember that day that he left. And I went into my living room and I wept. The task ahead of Timothy is a monumental one. And when you start to face that, and you know you're maybe facing that alone, as I felt in those, those two instances, it's a challenge. So what does Paul do? Paul knows that. And, he, and he, it's like he picks Timothy up by the chin and he says, look, look me in the eye. I know I'm just writing you this letter, but, but, but just imagine I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm just guiding your eyes to my eyes, and I want you to know this. Remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. And he wants this to bring him peace. Verse 2, Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace from God. Remember where you came from. What were these past 15 years for, Timothy? Why do you suppose God had us go through all of this together? What was he accomplishing in this? Don't you see that God was preparing you for this? Don't you see that, that, that God had, had orchestrated all of that for a reason? He was preparing you for this moment. He's given you years of apprenticeship under my tutelage. And I've prayed for you, Timothy, and I still pray for you. You know what I think he's saying to Timothy? Something that somebody said to me my very first year of pastoral ministry that was probably the most important four words that I, that, I, that I heard that first year of ministry. He said this, you were made for this. You were made for this. God has called you for this. And he's been doing this all along. These are meant to be exceedingly encouraging reminders but here's the thing. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, look, I, just, I don't want you to just remember how you were called. But I want you to recognize that, that God has been working in your life even since before that. Even before these 15 years that being under my tutelage, God has been working in your life. I want you to remember, secondly, how God has prepared you. And this isn't working. Can you? There you go. Thank you. How God has prepared you. Look at verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He's saying, look, Timothy, recognize this. By God's grace, you've had godly people pouring into your life even from birth. Namely, your, your mom and your grandmother. This is something that's very interesting here. Paul wants them to remember that, that look, God's been preparing you your whole life. Your whole life. In fact, if you look over at chapter 3, in verse 15, he, he brings this up again. He says, And now from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How has he been acquainted with these things since childhood? Because he had a mom and a grandmother who taught him the Word. Ever since he was a very little man. We meet... Timothy for the first time in Acts chapter 15, uh, excuse me, chapter 16, 
We learn some interesting things about his home life. We learn that he was the product of a religiously mixed marriage. His father was Greek. His father was, uh, was pagan in religion that way. And his mom was Jewish. And apparently his grandmother, also Jewish, was either living with them or was so close by that she was actively involved, deeply involved in his upbringing. I think as I, as I consider that, it's possible, this is speculation, but I think it's possible to assume that maybe his dad wasn't in the picture anymore. Maybe that's why his grandmother was there. Maybe that's why when as a teenager, he comes to faith and Paul says, you can come with me on this journey. He was able to go because he didn't, maybe he didn't have a, a real father figure at that point. So there's a, there's a good chance, in my mind at least, that it was just Timothy and his mom and his grandma. And there's a lot in this one verse. There's a lot here that can provide a tremendous amount of encouragement, not just for Timothy, but for all of us. Remember how from your childhood, you've been raised up in the Scriptures. Remember this faith that dwelt in your mom and your grandmother. And now I know, I'm sure, it dwells in you. Here's the first thing that encourages me. How valuable is it to have a godly home? How valuable it is to have a godly home. Not all of us have that. Not all of us were able to be raised in a home with believing parents. But for those who have, what a blessing that is for you. And for those of us who are raising kids as believers, what a blessing that can be for our kids to be raised up in a home where, where, where mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever is there and, and pouring into their lives is pouring into their lives with the word of God. Don't discount the value, the important seed work that that, that that brings about. Because for Timothy, when he heard the gospel, he responded to it. We're told there in the beginning of Acts 16, he was already a disciple. Proverbs 22.6, right? Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. There's wisdom in that. There's some truth to that. So if you've been raised in a home where you were you were taught Scripture, you were exposed to the Gospel, or if you're a parent who's got that opportunity now, thank God for that blessing. You can look back and say, look how God has been preparing since even birth. That's one encouragement. Here's the second encouragement. Just the impact of godly older women in the lives of young people. I I love this here. You've got a mom and you've got a grandma. And, and I think about this, as I've just said how valuable it is to be raised in a, in, a, in a home where you've got godly parents. I think about so many who I know in our congregation, in our community, who don't have that, that, that family structure. Maybe you're a single mom. Or maybe you're a grandparent and you're, you're actively involved in raising up your, ki- your, your grandkids because there isn't a stable family structure for them. And to see what tremendous value that is there there is a there is no doubt that having a a christian a godly father figure in the home is 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 so helpful for a young person but listen it's not the end of the world by any means if that doesn't happen god is bigger than that and the important value of godly older women imparting the word of god the truths of the gospel to young people is incalculable so I want to encourage those of you who are, if that's your situation, take heart. Look how God used women like you in the, lives of, in the life of Timothy. And look how God will continue to use women like you in the lives of, of, of our kids. I think about our, our children's ministry, how we just talked about a need for that. The value of godly older women in the lives of young people. So highlighted here by this text. The third thing I'm encouraged by is just to see the unique usefulness of, of Timothy's mixed religious background. So again, here's a guy who, who, who wasn't raised with two believing parents. He had one believing parent. The other one was not. And, and we might think, well, that, that's a disadvantage. And yet, look how God used that. God knew that. God was sovereign over that. And we're told in Acts 16 that the reason why Paul took Timothy with him on those missionary journeys is because he was taking, uh, he was going into Greek areas. And he, he saw the value in a young man who knew Christ, who knew the scriptures, but also understood Greek culture and was himself half Greek. And how God could use that 
as an advantage for the gospel in those missionary journeys. So again, maybe you look back at, at your upbringing and your, maybe your, your, your mixed family life or the fact that you don't have unbelieving parents or whatever and you wonder, how did all that work out? God sovereignly purposed that for a reason. God has equipped you and prepared you by the life that he's given to you to be uniquely qualified for the things that he has called you to do. We can be encouraged by that. Timothy could be encouraged by that. And then just sort of broadly, finally, this this just goes back to our our understanding of the, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's sovereignty here, and know that God's at work in your life even before you know it. If you're a believer in Christ, or you're yet to become a believer in Christ, God has written your name in the book of life before you were even born, and so he's purposed everything in your life knowing that you've always belonged to him, even before you knew that you did. And Paul wants to remind Timothy of that. Look, man, as believers, we can look back with redeemed eyes and we can see how God has uniquely prepared us for what he's called us to do. Again, Timothy, you're here in a, in a church that is a is in Ephesus. You've got, you've got Jewish people there. You've got Greek people there. Guess what you're uniquely qualified to do? Shepherd them because of who you are and how God has prepared you. So remember how he's called you. Remember how he's prepared you. And thirdly, remember this, how God has empowered you. Yes, I need help. This thing's not working. How God has empowered you. Look at verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For this reason, right? Because he's, 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 he's called you and, and he prepared you for all the things that he's done. I want to remind you now to present tense in this moment, fan into flame this gift of God that's in you. I know it's in you. How do I know it's in you? It, it, This gift that that Paul's thinking of is there because he he laid his hands on Timothy. Paul has intimate knowledge of the gifts that Timothy has. He's reminding Timothy of his spiritual gifts. And he wants to have him recall two very important truths about spiritual gifts. The first one is this. They come from God. This gift in you is from God. And secondly, they need to be fanned into flame. They need to be exercised, Timothy. So let's, let's briefly talk about the gift that Timothy is being reminded of here, because I think there's a specific thing that Paul has in mind. And then let's talk for a moment about the nature of spiritual gifts for every follower of Jesus. How, how does this connect with you? First of all, Paul says that this specific gift in Timothy is there by the laying on of my hands. And so this likely refers to Timothy's ordination, the call the affirmation, the ordination on Timothy as a pastor, as an elder there in the church of Ephesus. How is that done? How how is it that a a man is ordained for that kind of role as an elder, a pastor in the local church? Well, three things happen. First of all, there's a recognition of the giftedness of that person. So we look at the qualifications for an elder and we see that there's there's an ability to teach we see that there's, there are many character qualities that this person possesses that ultimately speak to their godliness, their, their, their temperament, their self-control, their love for others, right? Their lack of, of selfish gain and seeking after their own desires. There's, there's this whole thing that can be observed. And when it's observed, you look at that person and you can say, we can affirm and recognize these things in you. So that would have happened here. There's that recognition. Then there's that affirmation through testing, likely, 15 years of doing ministry together, that you are indeed not only qualified, but able to do this ministry. And finally, then a commission. This laying on of hands. The the elders would have come around Timothy and they would have commissioned him together. The congregation would have commissioned him. Yes, we recognize this in you. God has gifted you for this. So Paul wants to remind him of that. Why would it be so important to remind him of that. Here's why. Because when you're in the trenches, and Timothy was, when you're in the trenches of doing 
in this case, pastoral ministry, it's easy to forget why you're doing it. It's easy to, to get overwhelmed with the things that are going on around you and feel like, you know what? Man, I want to quit. And I, again, you know, I can tell you from experience, I can relate to that. It's hard, and you can relate to that. When we're called to do something, and we step into that, and we're in the trenches of doing the thing that God has called us to do, there will be challenges, there will be trials, and we will oftentimes want to quit. And so what's, what, is, what do we need to be reminded of? We need to be reminded of, look back at how God has put you here. Remember how He's gifted you. Remember how that's been observed, how that's been affirmed, how that's been commissioned by his people. And when I feel like that, and I do from time to time, I'm reminded of the miraculous things that God did in order to put me in the position that he's put me in. I can look back and, and just think about those moments where he just, he just lined everything up, where, where the affirmations and the gifts lined up with the opportunities and just amazing things where prayer was involved and things happened and doors opened and you just go, I know God did that. And that's true for all of us, right? You can look back on your life with redeemed eyes and, and see how God has lined things up and remember, God did that. I couldn't have done that. This isn't coincidence. All of us can look back over our entire lives again, and see those things. And this is what he wants to remind Timothy of here. God did this. Listen to me. God empowered you for this. What are you facing? God empowered you for this. And that power is his power. It's not your power. It's his power. It's by His Spirit. So you can know this. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. Timothy, you're not on your own. Church, you're not on your own. And every Christian, every Christian is empowered with spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each. For the common good. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints to each one individually as He wills. So you say, do I have a spiritual gift? If you're a believer in Christ, you do. You have spiritual gifts that the Spirit has uniquely given to you as He's willed for you for the benefit of the body. Ephesians 4, 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to to the measure of Christ's gift. The thing about spiritual gifts is that they're God's way of empowering each believer for the specific task that he's called us to. I wonder if we, if we sort of miss that. We, you know, when we think about spiritual gifts, do we, do we think about them so generally sometimes that we forget that they're, that they're given for a reason to be employed for specific things that God has called us to? God has called you into his church for a reason. You're a member of the body for a reason. You have a role to play. You have a God-given calling. And your gifts match up with the call. Because this is what He has purposed for you. And I think that there are spiritual gifts that are sometimes constant. And there are spiritual gifts that are sometimes given in the, in the moment for a very specific thing. In other words, I think there are things that we can say are sort of hardwired into us, things that are, that are maybe so paired with your personality that it's hard to, to discern you know, the difference between the two, that, but that God has made you that way. He's gifted you that way as a spiritual gift. When you come to Christ, that he uses that hardwired aspect of who you are to benefit the body. And then, like I said, I think there are other things that are that are maybe not so much hardwired into us, but are, they're supernatural occurrences that, that happen to us that maybe outside of we think our natural abilities or capabilities, but in a moment, God gives to us to accomplish His purpose. That's the nature of spiritual gifts. But they are in all of us. And here's the thing that Paul wants to remind us. They need to be exercised. 
God empowers. God gives these gifts, but he also requires that we respond as stewards of the gifts that he's given. We've got to use them. This is a paradox. There's lots of paradoxes in the Christian life. Here's one of them. God's sovereignty and human responsibility, they work together. He empowers. You've got to employ. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, Peter says, use it. Use it. He's got to remind us of that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. So when we're facing the tasks and the challenges ahead, we've got to re- be reminded of this. Do you, do you remember what's available to you? Are you aware of that? What is available to you? Do you know what you possess? The Spirit of God indwells you, Christian. The Spirit of God empowers you. Supernatural power is available to you to steward. Do you remember that? I love this verse in Ephesians 3. It's actually two verses, verses 20 and 21. Because I, I forget sometimes, right? I, I, I lose sight of the supernatural power available to me in Christ, in the indwelling of the Spirit within me. And I'm reminded of this. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I know you know that verse. To Him who is able to do above and beyond what we can ask or think, How does he do that? He does that according to the power at work within us by his spirit. Exercising the gifts that he's given through us. He's able to do far more than we can imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul says, look, Timothy, man, remember how God has called you. Remember how He's prepared you. Remember how He has empowered you. How He's been doing this from the very beginning. And when you remember that, then you're ready. You're ready to hear the charge. What's the charge? We're going to step into the charge next week as we get into verse 8 and following as we see Him talking specifically about how you be a good steward of the gospel that's been entrusted to you. But before he does that, he adds one more thing. And this is a very important thing that each of us needs to hear before we run out ready to be ministers of the gospel in our context. And it's this. Number four. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be bold, rather, in power, love, and self-control. Verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy has a very big task ahead of him, and there are millions of reasons on a human level of thinking, there's millions of reasons why he should be afraid. But Paul wants him to remember this, and I, and I, I think this is important for us. Fear does not have to be paralyzing for a Christian. Fear does not need to be paralyzing for the Christian. And Paul knew this from experience. Paul's not just giving empty words here. Paul has experienced this himself. When he faced his own significant ministry challenges, when he was in Corinth and facing much of the same kind of opposition that Timothy is now going to be facing in Ephesus, the Lord appeared to Paul in a night vision and gave him this encouragement. In Acts chapter 18, he said, Do not be afraid. The same thing Paul's saying here to Timothy. The Lord said it first to Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. Why, do, why, why can we not be afraid? What's this not having a spirit of fear? It's because the Lord's spirit is in us. That's not a spirit of fear. It's the spirit of God. I am with you. And the Lord continues to say to Paul in Acts 18, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, Paul, I sent you here for a reason. 
I've got people here who, who are going to respond to this gospel because, again, I've written their names in the book of life before they even knew I existed. They're my people. They're going to respond. You're going to bring them that message. I will accomplish through you what I intend to accomplish. This is my task. These are my gifts. You're my instrument. But you're my instrument. You're safe. Don't be afraid. That's fear alleviating power. If you hear that, and you should hear that from the Lord, whatever it is that He's placed in front of you that feels overwhelming to you, and He says to you, I'm with you. I've called you for this. I've ordained this. You're my instrument. Don't be afraid. And since He's the Spirit of power, like He says here, we have a Spirit of power. We can be confident of His enabling as we exercise our ministry. And since He's the Spirit of love, we must use that power, God's power, in serving others, not in any self-seeking way, and also remembering that God loves us. And since He's the Spirit of self-control, we, we use wisdom and we must use restraint. But another thing I think is important about this idea of self-control is that we must control our own fears. Be reminded, there's nothing to be afraid of. That self-control is needed in the mind of the believer to remember, God has called, God has prepared, God has empowered for whatever it is that He wills me to do, for whatever it is that He wills me to endure, ultimately to bring Him glory. Let, let me just try to hammer this home for us in some application. I want you to notice something. That, that th These are Paul's words to Timothy, yes. But did you notice that Paul isn't just reminding Timothy of these things? He's also reminding himself of these same truths that are true in his own life, in his own ministry. Look back at verse 1. He says, Paul, I, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. How many times do you think Paul had to remind himself of that truth as he was facing opposition? That it was God himself who met Paul on the road to Damascus, turned his life around, and called him into this ministry. Jesus himself made Paul an apostle. And the big challenge that Paul continually faced in his ministry is that people were trying to discount and disvalue his apostleship. You're not smart enough. You're not eloquent enough. You were a murderer of Christians. You were, you were a persecutor of the church. We're skeptical of you, Paul. How easy would it be for him to have just said, I quit. And yet he's reminded, no, Jesus made me an apostle. God did this. He's preaching here to himself. And he says the same thing in verse 3 as he's, as he's talking about, look, Timothy, I want you to remember where you came from and your godly heritage and your mom and your grandma. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. I've got a history too. God is working in my life too. And so all that to say that this is applicable to every believer. And I think Paul makes that particularly clear in chapter 3, in this book, verse 16 and 17, when he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete, may be equipped for every good work. This is God's inspired word and it's profitable for all of us. So what's in front of you? Think about this. What are you scared of? What are you maybe feeling inadequate for? Maybe you're stepping into ministry like Timothy. I know lots of you are training for ministry. You're preparing for a life of ministry. Maybe right now you've got the, the safety and the security of others who are overseeing you and the buck stops with them and not yet with you. And you, you see that the day is approaching when you're going to step into that role and, and it, it's going to be you. You're going to be out on that mission field. You're going to be in that church setting where they're going to be looking at you and, and suddenly calling you pastor. And you're thinking, how am I going to handle that? You're going to remember how you've been called. 
prepared and equipped. You're going to remember how you've been empowered. Maybe you have an opportunity with family or friends to be a witness for Christ. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation where there's opposition within your own circles of influence. Sometimes those are the, the hardest ones or those close ones like your family or your close friends. And, and you, you see there's opportunities that God is giving you to step up and to be a witness for Christ, to be a minister of the gospel. And you know that as you do that, it's not necessarily going to go very well, that there, there may be opposition, there may be persecution, certainly ridicule and dismissal and all those things. And how are you going to step into that? Do you feel overwhelmed by that? Well, remember how you got there. You were called, prepared, and empowered for it. You know how I know that? Because God put you there. Maybe there's an opportunity at work that you know is going gonna, is gonna to test your faithfulness. Or maybe there's something going on at work that's, that could give you a platform to, to, to declare, to demonstrate your dependence on Christ. And again, it, it might be a little overwhelming. There might be risk involved with that. But remember, you were called and prepared and empowered for it. Maybe you've got a health challenge. Maybe there's a difficult trial ahead and you, you know that this is, this is going to be the hardest thing that I've, I've done. This is going to be the hardest steps that I have to take. There's going to be plenty of opportunity for me in this to feel like I quit. I want to quit. Where's God in this? And the, the reminder to you is God is sovereign over this. God has called you for this. He's prepared you for this. He's empowered you for this. Parents, spiritual parents, you speaking into the life of a young person and the, the young person doesn't seem all that interested in what you have to say? You pray constantly for their direction and their spiritual growth and health and, and, and it often just feels like there's not much going on there and you want to quit? You're overwhelmed by it? You think, why, why, God, why did you give these kids to me? I'm not clearly doing a very good job. They're not responding to me. No, you were called. You were prepared. You're empowered for this. And the reason I know that is because God put you there. There's a million applications for this. You're, I hope that, that the Spirit is making you think of the thing that's in front of you, the call that you have that doesn't look easy. But the message is always the same. In Christ, you're called. You're prepared. And you're empowered. How has God called you to Himself? Do you remember that? Do you remember? Remember the Gospel. Remember your particular story of conversion and transformation. Do you know, every one of us has a different story. Same Gospel, same God, same transforming power, very different stories, very different backgrounds, very different circumstances. Why? Because God has uniquely called, prepared, and empowered you for what He's called you to do. How did He place others in your life who are willing and able to disciple and mature you? How has He been at work since your childhood in ways that you didn't even know? And do you recall that you were indwelled by the Holy Spirit? You are indwelled by the living God to accomplish what He calls you to do. You have been called, prepared, and empowered for this. You were made for this. You were made for it. God's been preparing you all along. I'm going to close out by just reading the next 
section, verses 8 through 14. What has He called you to do? What has He prepared you and empowered you to do? Whatever it is, it's going to be focused on this truth. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this encouraging reminder that You are a sovereign God, that our lives are Yours, that everything about our lives is ordained by You, Lord, that You truly, as we, as we even sang through Romans 8, we're reminded that it tells us there that You work all things together for the good of those who love You, Lord, that, that our lives are Yours. So I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I, I know that some of the, the flames are a little... They're a little low. A little, the, 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 the burn is a little slow. The coals are just maybe kind of crackling. Lord, would you encourage us as we're reminded of who you are and who we are in you to fan the flame, to live bold lives, to, to do the things that you've called us to do, not in a spirit of fear, but one in power, one in love and self-control. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you that we get to dive back deep into what the gospel is, what has been entrusted to us, and, and just form us by those words over the coming weeks. We look forward, Lord, to the way that you'll shape us by this power, by your spirit at work. Thank you for your son who makes it possible. We pray these things in his name. Amen.